So when you meet someone, when you say hi to somebody for the first time, or maybe you're introduced to someone, what are, what are some of the first things that you say? What do you talk about? Talk about where I work, what, what, what do I do? That's one of the first questions somebody will ask you. Well, what, well, they'll ask you your name, but then they'll ask you, what do you do? And then they'll ask you maybe where you live, and they'll ask you about yourself. And when you're meeting somebody, you really don't want to talk about how you were rude to your wife or mean to your kids or how maybe you're lazy on your job sometimes or you don't want to talk to them about all your failures and your missteps, right? That's not what you want to do. You want to talk about the highlights of your life. You want to talk about, you know, um, how amazing your life is. You want to talk about how great your job is, your wife, your kids. You want to talk about your successes. Nobody, when they're introduced to somebody, wants to have a bad picture about themselves given to that person. They want to talk about the highlights. That's what we do, right? But we all know that under the surface of all of our weaknesses and our frailties and and our missteps and our shortcomings, underneath the surface of our highlights, all of those things dwell there. Those missteps, those, those, those mistakes, those, that, that sin, that habit that we have a hard time breaking. It's all underneath the surface. But we, we just like to put the highlights out there. And so that's the habit that we always have. And the character, I want intru- to introduce you to somebody this morning. Now, most of you in here, you have been introduced to this man. But maybe there's some of you here this morning, you've never met him. And the person I want to introduce to us this morning is the Apostle Peter. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know a little bit about Peter. And you know the Apostle Peter is a lot like us. He had a lot of shortcomings. He had a lot of failures. He put his foot in his mouth quite a bit. He said things he shouldn't say. He did things he shouldn't do. He was a flawed man, just like all humans are flawed. But Peter just kind of wore those flaws on his sleeve for everyone to see. And it just happened to be written in the Bible forever for us all to look at. How would you like that to be your life right now, right? Like all of your mess ups, at least your biggest ones, are right here for everyone to study for the rest of their lives. And that, so that's the Apostle Peter. So Peter was, Peter was one of the earliest uh, disciples to, to follow Christ. And if you remember, if, if you've read the story in the Gospels, Jesus finds Peter. He's out fishing. And it says he was with his other fisher, fisherman buddies. And it says that they, that they fished all night long and they caught nothing. And what did Jesus do? He tells them, he asked them if they caught any fish, and they said no. And, and he tells them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And so I, mean, I guess they had no reason to not do it. They've been out there all, all night, but they probably doubted. You can imagine. If you're a professional fisherman, you got some Joe Blow guy tell you, you know, hey, I know you haven't caught anything. You've been out there all night. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. You're probably thinking, who is this, who is this guy? What does he know? But they did it. And it says that they caught so much fish that the net began to break. And it says that Peter fell to his knees and he looked up at Jesus and he says, truly, you are, you are the son of God. You are God. You, I am an evil, sinful man. He immediately recognized the deity of Jesus Christ. He immediately recognized that he was sinful and this man is not. And so that's how. And so then, so then Jesus looks at Peter and he tells Peter, he says, you are a fisher of, of fish, but I want you to follow me and you will become a fisher of men. And so then you just go on in Peter's life and we see how he is with Jesus for three and a half years. And, and, and in line with talking about the highlights, you're being introduced to Peter, maybe some of you for the first time. 
I want to I read to you the highlight of all highlights for Peter. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened in Peter's life. He had the greatest revelation that there can ever be. And we see it in Matthew 16. Jesus is, is, is with Peter, is with the other disciples. And it says this in Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but, but who do you? Who do you? And that is the question that every human being that ever walks the earth has to answer. Who do you, not your grandmother or your grandfather or your mom or your dad, your aunt or your uncle, your coworker, your best friend, not what, what, not what they think about who Jesus is, but what do you, who do you say that I am? Again, Simon Peter, this is Simon Peter. He's loud, he's gonna be the first to speak. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus is telling him, this is divine revelation you have right here. This comes from my father in heaven. That you, you recognize that I'm the son of God. That comes from my father in heaven, that you would believe that. This is the highlight of all highlights for Peter. Let's, let's go back to the text. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this rock of revelation of Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's an amazing highlight, right? The greatest of all highlights. If, that's, if this is the only highlight you have in your life, if this is the only thing that you do that's positive in your life, if it is to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is the greatest thing that you could ever do in your life. And it's the greatest thing that Peter did in his life. But let's keep it real. That was not the only thing that took place in his life. He had lots of, lots of faults and lots of frailty, lots of mistakes. And I just, I just list four right here that we're going to look at. First one is this. Peter rebukes Jesus for talking about dying. After he says that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, fast forward a little bit later, Jesus starts saying, oh, hey, by the way, I was born to die. And I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to die. And Peter, who's passionate, who loves the Lord, sees who Jesus is. He says, far be it from you. You cannot die. And Jesus looks at Peter and recognizes the spirit that's behind what he's saying. And he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. For you don't, you're not paying attention to spiritual things. You only pay attention to earthly things. I mean, look at that. How, pro, how profound of a difference. You have the greatest revelation, the highlight of all highlights in Peter's life. And then just a little bit later, Peter gets called the Satan. And Jesus says, get behind me. That's a pretty big mistake, wouldn't you think? He wasn't, he wasn't getting it yet. None of the, none of the disciples were. Uh, here's another fault that we see, another mistake, another weakness that, that we all have. We're all like Peter. Peter falls asleep, right? Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be tortured and crucified. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, could you please pray with me a little while? Linger on and pray. And in a few moments, Jesus walks away and he's praying. And Jesus comes back and there's Peter. And there's the other disciples and they're all just passed out. Like I pass out when I pray sometimes. We're just like Peter. 
We're no better than Peter. Here's another thing that Peter did. They come to arrest Jesus after they were in the garden for a little while, falling asleep when they should be praying. They come to arrest Jesus. And one of the servants of the high priest, Peter cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest who is trying to arrest Jesus. His name was Malchus. Now, you would be naive to believe that Peter was trying to cut off his ear. He was not trying to cut off the man's ear if he was trying to prevent them from arresting Jesus. He was going for the head. He was going to kill the man. So not only did he have a murderous spirit, but he, he had bad aim. He wasn't a great fighter. <laughs> right? He got lots of faults. Peter's just like us. We're filled with hatred towards people. And Jesus said in the book of Matthew that if you have hatred in your heart, that you have a murderous spirit and attitude. And Peter is just like us. We're just like Peter. And then the greatest of all, this is the highlight of all his failures. We see the highlight of his greatest success to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But we see the lowest point in Peter's life when Peter denies the Lord Jesus three times. Jesus is arrested. He's being, he's being questioned and tried. And Peter is off in the distance watching what's going on. He's warming himself by a charcoal fire. All, all four gospel accounts talk about the denial of Jesus that Peter had. And one of the accounts says that there was a charcoal fire that he was standing by. He was warming his hands and watching at a distance what was going on. And let's look. We saw the highlight, but let's look at the failure of Peter. Matthew 26, 30-35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all, excuse me, this is, this is the prediction. This is the prediction of Peter's denial from the Lord. And then, then after that, we'll look at what actually happened. You will all fall away, Jesus says, because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him. Peter answered him. Of course he did. Though they all fall away, those losers. I'm adding that in there. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus, who knows all. I can imagine, look compassionately at Peter and said, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same. They said, hey, well that guy, he said something really good back earlier, that Jesus is the Christ. Well, we're going to agree with Peter. We're all going to stick with you, Jesus. We're all going to stick with you. And now let's look at what actually happened. Luke 22 then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire, other accounts say a charcoal fire, in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. When I, when, when I read that, there's a little pause here. This is what I think of when I read it. It says, it gives some good details there. It says that there's a servant girl, there's a fire, and it says she looks closely. She's like, she sees a man over there, and like she sees through the light, she's leaning in. She's like, wait a minute. She might be whispering to somebody, I think that's one of his disciples right there. He looks again. She looks again and says, oh, that is definitely him. And then she goes up and she says, you're, you're with him. You are one of him. This man also was with him, but he denied it. Verse 57, saying, woman, I do not know him. 
And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And other accounts say that he cursed. He said with cursing the third time, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, immediately, the Lord's prophecy came true. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at this, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? You walked with the Lord for three and a half years. You saw the miracles. You had the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You know he's the son of God. You know he is the Messiah that was to come. And you know that he's God in the flesh because no mere man can do what Jesus did. And he denied him three times. The rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You imagine how Peter's heart felt. Just failure upon failure. The greatest failure of his life. We are like Peter. We are weak. We are flawed. We, we make mistakes. We are just like him. We're no better than Peter is. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. How many of you here this morning have wept bitter tears over your sin? Bitter tears. How many of you here this morning, you have had re- regret in your life because of mistakes that you've made that you know have dishonored your Lord? That's what Peter felt. He went out and wept bitterly because he knew he had made the biggest mistake of his life and had rejected his Lord. Peter is a broken man. He is filled with bitter regret over the, de- over the denial of his Lord. The same Peter who boldly declared the true nature of Jesus, that same Peter who passionately defended his Lord against arrest, this same Peter cowers under the pressure when it really mattered. You ever done that? Cowered under the pressure when it really mattered? I've done it, you've done it, Peter's done it. He failed. He denied even knowing the man that he knew was not just a mere man, but the Son of God. Peter is at the lowest point of his life. Not only did he deny his Lord, but his Lord is being crucified and murdered. So think about that. His whole world is being shattered. He denied his Lord, who he knew was the Son of God, but then his Lord that he put his faith and his trust in, that he was going to establish his kingdom, is being crucified and murdered. His whole world is crumbling and is at the lowest point. We've all been at a low point in our life, all of us. But you know what the good news is? Good news for us, the good news for Peter, is that the story didn't end right there. That's a shouting point. (laughs) That's when you say, amen, brother, preach, preacher. That's what you say right there. Because that's the good news. The story didn't end right there, right? It didn't stop. And this is, this is for all the failures in the room. This is for all the people who, who make mistakes. The good news is, is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he conquered your sin. 
He conquered your failure. He conquered your inadequacy. He conquered your fear. He conquered your depression. He conquered everything so that you could be free. And Jesus began, after he rose three days later, he began to reveal himself to his disciples. He began to show them that he was alive. Look at my hands. Thomas, look at my hands. Look at the holes in my feet and my hands. Believe that I am the Son of God. I am risen. Peter witnessed and saw the resurrected Lord. He went back to the tomb and looked to see there's no body. But what happens after the resurrection? This is very profound right here, right? Jesus won the victory. Peter should have been celebrating. Peter should have thought, oh my goodness, he really is God. What's going to take place here? And he should have wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing after the resurrection. But where do we find Peter? Where does he go? Where does he go? John 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, to the disciples that were with them, all the ones that had abandoned Jesus, they all abandoned him except John. What does he say? Going fishing. I'm going fishing. And if you read that in the original language... It's a definite article. It's not a temporary statement he's making here. He's going back to his career. And look what it says here. Let's put that back up. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Peter's a leader. People are going to follow him. The Lord knew that about Peter. They went out and they got into what? The, not a, the definite article, the boat. What boat? The boat that they would fish in. Their boat. Peter's boat. They weren't going back just to, to, hey, the the Lord's resurrected. (laughs) I mean, look, wouldn't you think you're not going to go fishing after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? But what's the deal? Peter Peter feels like it's done. Yes, he's resurrected, but I'm I'm done. He'll never want me back. I'm never going to be of use to the Lord. God can never use me. God, God can never use somebody like me who looks at him in the eye and denies him and rejects him. God can never use me again. That's why Peter said, I'm going fishing. And that's why he went out. And you know what's interesting? He caught nothing. He toiled all night. And I just want to say this. When you decide that you think you're going to go back to your old life before Christ, it's fruitless. It's pointless. There's no sustenance there. There's no meaning there. There's no purpose there. It's a dead-end road. You're going to come up empty. You're going to cast your net. You're going to throw out the line and nothing's going to be biting. There's going to be no satisfaction. There's going to be no joy. Because only through Christ and relationship with him can you have completeness in your heart. Your world can be, your world can be destroyed all around you. And be by yourself. And be suffering. But you can have a sense of peace and joy and rest. Knowing that, that Jesus is your Lord. That you're forgiven. And you have peace. But Peter hadn't caught that yet. He's going back. He's going back. And what's interesting is, same picture that when Jesus called Peter to follow him the first time, this is what happens. They're toiling all night. Peter's not catching any fish. And Jesus stands on the beach. And I love what it says. Jesus calls out from the beach. He says, children. And it actually means little boys. (laughs) Little children, little boys. Little boys, toiling around for nothing out there all night, can't catch a fish. Little boys, have you caught anything? And they had a one-word answer, no, no. And Jesus says, cast your net over to the other side. 
I just think that's, that's powerful. That is so good. The Lord called him to follow him, and he called him back to follow him the same way. Cast your net on the other side. And it says they caught, they caught a load of fish that they couldn't carry in the net. And it says that a disciple looked at Peter and said, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And what does Peter do? He forgets that the rest of his friends have to carry in the, 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 the net full of fish. And he jumps into the water. And he goes and he swims to the shore. They're about 100 yards off. He swims to the shore. And where do you see Jesus? He's on the beach. He has a charcoal fire. It specifically says in John 21, a charcoal fire. Charcoal fire lit. Jesus had already been fishing. And he, he had some fish. How does Jesus catch fish? Fish. <laughs> That's how he catches fish. He just says fish. And there's fish. So he caught some fish the, the, the Jesus way. And he's got fish and he has bread. He's got breakfast. He says, hey, come and eat some breakfast with me today. And he enters into a conversation with Peter, that is one of the most amazing conversations you will ever read in the Gospels. And I want us to read it this morning. So I want you to hear the heart of our Lord. Let's go back to John 21. Let's look at verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than, not the, not the disciples. He knew they all, they all abandoned him. They all abandoned Jesus. I think he was talking about the fish about the business, about the boat, about where he used to be. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what we need to figure out here, what what I need to tell you here is there's two different types of words that are used for the word love in John 21. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's using a word for love that means a love of total commitment, a love of total commitment. So what Jesus is asking Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me fully? Are you totally committed to me, Peter? And when Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, the word love that Peter uses is the word for love that means um, earthly affection, deep affection, but not total commitment. So get what's going on here. Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you, are you committed to me totally? And Peter says, Lord, you know I'm only affectionate for you. You know I only have deep affection for you, Lord. Lord, you know that I rejected you. You know I I looked at you in the eye and said, I don't know you. You know, Lord, you know I only love you like this. Jesus asked him a second. Well, then he says, after Peter's answer, he says, feed my lambs. Jesus says, I have work for you to do. Verse 16, he said to him a second time. Simon, son of John, are you totally committed? Jesus used the same word again. Are you totally committed to me? You totally committed to me? And Peter said again, yes, Lord, you know that I have deep affection for you. I'm not totally committed to you. You you know that, Lord. And Jesus said to him, I have work for you to do. Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? And this time, Jesus said, are you really deeply affectionate he used peter's word for love and he looked at peter and he said peter do you really are you really deeply affectionate for me are you really that way he questioned what peter said in the first place rightfully so and it says here 
It says here, Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I'm a mess up. You know I'm a failure. You know, you, know I, you know I royally blew it. You know I don't deserve to be here. You know I am not the man for the job. You know I cannot be usable. You know, God, I don't love you totally. You know that, Lord. You know everything. You know me from the inside out, and I want you to know that today. God knows you. He knows your heart. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you can fly under the radar with God, you can't. God knows everything. He knows the very thoughts and intentions of your heart. He sees you. He sees you when you're struggling. He sees you when you're struggling in that area of sin. He sees you when you're struggling with being oppressed or depressed or, or, or anxious and worried. He knows you. Lord, you know everything. You know that I only love you halfway. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I've got work for you to do. That is so profound. You know what, you know what this, this is right here? This is hope. This is hope. This is hope that God can use failures like us. This is hope that God's not looking for perfect people. This is hope that God says that if, if you will love me, if you will pursue me, even, even, with, even if you have failures and weaknesses and struggles and trials, that I can, I can still save you, deliver you, refine you, mature you. Get busy doing what God's called you to do. This is hope for us. So what I want to look at this morning, I want, to, I want to look at what we learn from this story of Peter's failures and from the Lord's pursuit of him. The first thing we learn is this, that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. That's the first thing that stands out to me from this story. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, All of us, we have all missed the mark. We've all come up short on our best day. On your best day, when you think you're knocking it out of the park. On your best day, when you're kind to people and you're patient with people. On your best day, you still fall short. We still fall short. God's standard of perfect righteousness has only been upheld by one man. The man Christ Jesus. That's it. We can never meet God's perfect standard of holiness by our own efforts. It's impossible. Yet, this is what so many of us try to do. We try to become a better person by thinking positive, by eliminating negativity, by giving to charity, by going to church, or giving up bad habits. The list goes on and on of things we try to do, attempts at becoming a better person. Countless books have been written, self-help books, millions of dollars made by people who try to tell us how we can become a better person. Just follow these steps and you'll be on your way to a happy and satisfied life. Truth is that none of those books tell you the whole truth. None of those books tell you what the the Bible tells you, which is that no amount of your good works will ever afford you mercy and grace with God. None of them. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you will be made right with God. Your good works are like filthy rags before God. If your good works are an attempt To be justified before God, those works are like a filthy rag. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for faith in Jesus Christ. The truth is that no amount of positive thinking and behavior modification can change the real problem. The real reason people find themselves with no hope, no peace, no joy, no way out from under the guilt 
caused by sinful choices is that they have never come to terms with the reality of their true condition. The Bible says that everyone apart from a relationship with Jesus is dead in their trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead on the inside. That's the reality. We all fall short. We can all relate to Peter. Just like Peter, we put our foot in our mouth. We say what we shouldn't say. Just like Peter, we can be impulsive and not respond in ways that please God. Just like Peter, we fall asleep instead of seeking God in prayer. And just like Peter, we deny the Lord with our words and our actions. And just like Peter, we desperately need God's forgiveness and grace. That's the truth. That's the first thing that we learn, that we all fall short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. The good news is, the second thing that we learn, that Christ came to die for the ungodly. That's the second truth. Christ came to die for the ungodly. Romans 5 says that while we were still weak, this is what makes the story of Peter so profound. In Peter's weaknesses, in his failures, when, when he totally blew it, what does Christ do? He pursues him. He goes after him. While we were still sinners, while we were still weak, when we wanted nothing to do with him, Christ came after us. When we were the one sheep that was lost, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Christ came to die for the ungodly. Romans 5 says again that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a powerful thought here. While Peter was busy denying his Lord, Jesus was busy paying the penalty for that sin. While Peter was busy denying his Lord, Peter, Jesus was busy paying for that sin. He came for the ungodly. The good news is that God sent his son to die for our sins, to take the punishment we deserved. God didn't wait for us to prove we deserved mercy. He knew we didn't. And so he sent his son to die for us because of his great love. This is what separates, I want you to hear this. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. All of them. Man-made religion says this, climb up the ladder of good works to get to God. That's what religion says. Climb up. You gotta climb up that ladder. But what does Christianity say? Christianity says, I'm coming down to you. I am Emmanuel, God with us. That's Christianity. God didn't wait for us to get up the ladder, climb up the mountain. He came down to us. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. And God came down. God came down in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ, came down to us. Jesus was being mistreated and on his way to crucifixion while Peter was rejecting him. We were there with Peter. And Jesus died so that every ungodly person that would place their faith in him would be forgiven and born again. That's the good news. Amen? That's the third thing we learn from Peter's life. The third thing is this, that the ungodly can be forgiven and born again. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 say this, and you, in you, all of us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God did it together with him. To, to, together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside by nailing it to his cross. Amen? 
That's what happened at Calvary. There was a bill that you were, that, that you were due. There was a payment you had to make. And you couldn't make it by your good works. You couldn't, you couldn't pay God back. And he says, I'm going to send my son. And when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, just like for Peter's sins, he, God nailed it, our sins. That debt we owed, he nailed it to the cross. And now, through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven of, of, of that debt. And what happens is 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ by faith, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. All this, all this saving business, this is all from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconcil- reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you, if you're not a believer here this morning, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to climb the ladder of good works. It's fruitless. There's no peace there. There's no joy there. Stop trying to climb the ladder. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. God forgives and makes brand new the ungodly. We become born again through faith in Jesus. What's the fourth thing that we learn? To this story. How do we know these things are true? How do we know this can actually happen? How do we know? Where's our hope? Because of this, because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. That's the truth. The resurrection changes everything. If Christ was not raised, then we are still in our sins and we are still lost and we are still not forgiven. But because we know that Christ has been raised, we know that after three days, death could not hold him. Because we know that, it changes everything. And what I want you to see here in the story of Peter is what, it, is, is what happened in his life. Let's think back to what was going on in Peter's life. He denied his Lord three times. He ran, even though he knew Jesus was resurrected, he went back in shame and cowardice and went back to his old job, to his old career. He went back because he had given up all hope. He was, he was a coward. He was weak. He had no boldness. The boldness that he had previously to declare that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of the, of the living God, all of that was gone. And the rest of the disciples with them. They were in the same boat. They had all backed down and rejected Christ. But where do we find them? How how is it that the resurrection changed everything? Let's look. Acts chapter 2. What happens after Peter's restoration? Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends to heaven. He tells them, he says, I have a promise for you. I want you to go to the upper room. I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to infuse you with power and fill you with power so you can be bold witnesses for me. And I want you to go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going away. 
But I'm not leaving you comfortless. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending my spirit for, to you, to live in you, to be your guide, to remind you of all the things I've taught you. And what happens in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit descends in the upper room and it says that it was such a commotion that all the people that were in the region of Jerusalem for the Feast of Passovers, it says there was such a commotion that a crowd began to gather. It says that the crowd goes up into the upper room and, and they look at what's going on with the disciples, with the 120 that are up there, and they say, these guys have lost their mind. They're acting like drunk men. Like, what is, going, what is happening here? And, they, and then they start saying, they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in our native language. And it says that these men that, that had come from all over the region of the world to Jerusalem, from different regions with different dialects and languages, Acts 2 lists the languages that these 120 were saying, speaking in, that they should not have been able to speak in. It was a sign to the unbeliever that God was there. How is it? That's what you see in Acts 2. How is it that this guy, who's from this area, is speaking like this? And what were they speaking? The wonderful works of God. And so, there's got to be some type of interpretation, right? Now, you've got to figure something out here. So, who is it that's going to speak? Is it going to be the coward? Is the coward going to talk? Is he going to deny the Lord again? What's he going to do? Who's going to speak? What's going to be Peter? But Peter, Acts 2.14, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Peter's lifting up his voice now. The resurrection changes everything. He lifts up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in, in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He's preaching to them. He's explaining to them what's going on. He's letting them see. And he goes to the Old Testament. And he begins to prove to them through the Old Testament writings, prove to these Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And he looks at them and he points his finger at him and says, you crucified him. His blood is on your hands. You're guilty. And it says that they began to say, what must we do? Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The resurrection changes everything. And the resurrection changed these men. They really saw the resurrected Christ. Because Every one of these apostles, except for John, lost their life for Jesus Christ, for the reality of the resurrected Lord. If you, you don't die for a lie, but you might die for the truth. If Jesus had not really been raised, these men in history, this is not made up, this is true. History tells us that not only did the apostles get martyred and crucified and and, and Peter was crucified upside down history tells us not only did they get beheaded and martyred and and persecuted but other disciples that they witnessed to about the resurrection did history tells us that and today because the resurrection changed everything we today 2,000 years later we worship the same resurrected Lord and the, the world the devil 
can try as he may. The devil can try as he may. He will never stop the gospel because the gospel is true. Because Christ really did die on the cross and take our place. And he really did rise on the third day. And the proof is, is that it can never be stopped. Death can't stop it. This would have been long gone if Jesus had not really died. And had not really risen. If he had just died. Because of the power of the resurrection, God takes weak, flawed individuals and uses them in the face of intense persecution to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. To proclaim that all men have failed to meet God's holy standard and that Jesus was born to die for the ungodly. To proclaim that the ungodly by faith in Jesus can be forgiven and born again. To proclaim That all of this is sealed by the reality of the resurrection. Because Christ is risen, we can be reconciled and restored to relationship with our Heavenly Father. I want to say two things before we close. If you're in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've not followed him. You've not committed your life to him. You've heard the gospel this morning. I've preached it throughout this message. And you know that 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 is not you. You are not a follower. You're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus. You, You may be religious and you may come to church on Easter. But if you know you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that that what we see in this story of Peter gives you hope. Is that God doesn't ask perfect people to come to church. God doesn't say, hey, you gotta be perfect before you can come through the door and have salvation. That's not how it works. God says, come just like you are. Come with your failures, with your faults, with your mistakes, with your sin. Because it's only from that position, that position of recognition that you can't do it on your own. That is is the basis and the foundation of grace. And when God's love and forgiveness can come rushing in. But here's what humanity has done and they will always do. They always try to prop themselves up for God. They always try to make themselves good enough. I just want you to know, if you don't know the Lord today, you can. You can surrender to him right now. You can surrender to him when you leave. You can surrender to him after we pray. So I implore you, be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Secondly, I want to say this. If you're here this morning, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You, you have committed your life to follow him. I want you to hear this. If you have made mistakes in your life that you feel like have disqualified you for for usefulness this story is for you this story is for, for it's for us and it will be for us for the rest of our life it is a daily reminder for us that god can still use flawed people if you feel like god can never use me it's it, 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 it's done i've done too much i just want you to know that through christ there's forgiveness there's reconciliation there's restoration god wants to, to god wants to make you more like christ if you're if you're in christ He wants to conform you into his image more perfectly. And you have to just submit to that process and say, yes, Lord. Don't give up. Don't go back fishing. Don't go back fishing. There's nothing there for you. Nothing there for you. I want to end with this. J.C. Ryle says this concerning the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is the foundation stone of Christianity. It was the seal of the great work that he came to do on earth, came on earth to do. It was the crowning proof that the ransom he paid for sinners was accepted. The atonement for sin accomplished. 
the head of him who had the power of death bruised and the victory won. Well, may we say with Peter. Look what Peter wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Amen. I want to take communion this morning. So you just stay seated. I want to pray. And after I pray, they're going to sing a song. The ushers are going to pass out the elements. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that your word will do its work. God, I know it's working in our hearts this morning. And Lord, we are about to take part in remembering your sacrifice for us. May we remember it with true and sincere hearts. In Jesus' name.
to reveal the fullness of his reign. Our hearts will bow before the sound of Jesus' name. are true, Lord, that your work on the cross will never lose its power for us, Lord, for those that have placed our faith in you. And Lord, this is what you said to us, this is what you said to your disciples before you went to the cross. You said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of you. And so Lord, that is what we do. We do it today on Resurrection Day. We remember what you did for us on the cross. And we remember that the power of your resurrection sealed your work. It was your stamp of victory on the work of the cross. And so we thank you for your death and we thank you for your resurrection. And we take these symbols, this cracker and this juice, we take these symbols and we we thank you for what they represent. They represent your work and we do it in honor of you. Let's take the cracker and let's take the juice. I'm going to dismiss in prayer in just a moment. When I dismiss in prayer, if you need prayer about anything, before you leave, if you need prayer about anything, if you want to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord, you make him the Lord of your life, or if you need prayer about anything that the Lord convicted you during the message, our pastors will be down front and we will be here to pray for you. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for an amazing time with the body of Christ gathering together to worship you and to worship our resurrected Lord. What a great time that it was. Lord, I pray that we would remember the different things that the Holy Spirit spoke to our hearts. Let let us remember them through the week, God, and for weeks and months to come. Let us hold fast to your truth. God, I pray that we leave here today encouraged and strengthened. I thank you for your people. God, these are your people. They're called by your name. Lord, bless them, strengthen them, encourage them today. In Jesus' name, amen.